0: Slightly different twists. It is something from the wisdom literature of Solomon. Here's what Solomon writes. When the sentence for a crime is not carried out quickly, quickly now, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know, says Solomon, that it will go better for God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet, because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. And He's talking about like the shadow on a sundial. That's Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11 and following. It's almost axiomatic that the more evil people get away with, the more emboldened they are to commit even more evil. Well, I got away with this. I'm a, how about if I try that? They are saying something like we have already seen I can do anything I want, there are no consequences. God doesn't see. God doesn't care. And furthermore, here's the new element. Furthermore, God cannot do anything to stop me. He's powerless. They reason that delay in justice is the equivalent of no justice. And that translates to a weak, powerless God. That I need not fear. That's our society. The believer's position, however, is one that's totally different. The believer's joy in God is in God as his creator and life giver to him as a creature of God. There is joy in knowing that God knows us. Unlike the wicked who deny that God knows them and their deeds and will do everything to soothe their conscience with the thought that God does not see and does not hear, listen to the psalmist. O Lord, says the psalmist, you have searched me and you know me. Wow. You know me. He expands. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in, behind, before, you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 6. Observe that this is far more than God knowing about us, which is also true. That we exist. Of course God knows that. Rather, God knows our activities at any given moment. When we sit, when we stand up. He knows when we are what we are thinking. He knows our geographical location at any given moment. Whether going out or lying down. In fact, he is familiar with all of our ways. Oh, there's more. He knows what we're going to say at any instant, even before the word is on our tongue. I don't even know that at times, what I'm going to say. But God knows. Observe that the psalmist says of God, verse 1, You have searched me, and you know me. You know me. You know, sometimes we become so close to another human being that we love, husband with a wife, wife with a husband, parent with child, that we can say with some kind of truthfulness, I know her, like the back of my hand will say, I know him. And if we hear something that sounds us awry, we say, no, 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 that's not him. I know him well enough to know that that, he would not say something like that. He would not do something like that. But what the psalmist is talking about is something extremely in-depth. You've searched me and you know me. The psalmist is a believer in the God of the Bible. He is not disowning God. He is not minimizing God or trying to negate his knowledge and wisdom. Just the opposite. He is acknowledging that God has scrutinized him with such thoroughness that not one detail of his life has escaped the notice of God. Now, is he frightened about this? Is, is this upsetting to him? Is he uh, bent on denial or... Keen on trying to hide from God? No, none of this. Verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. What is that? Brethren, that is worship. That's what that is. It's worship. It is joy in knowing that God knows him. He's pleased and at peace with the thought that he, as a creature of God... Cannot attain to God's knowledge, yet lives and moves under God's supervision. Doesn't scare him, it gives him peace, gives him joy. In other words, he's content to have God be God without his permission and without any attempt to detract from who and what God is. He doesn't have to make excuses or tell lies to cover his sin. He knows he takes delight in the exposure to the light of which Jesus spoke. Here it is. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. John 3 verse 21. Believer knows that he's not a self-made man. He acknowledges that God is his creator. And as such, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest... Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet without sin. Let us then, listen to this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. (coughs) So that we may receive mercy. And find grace to help us. In our time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 13 and following. What is this? This is joy in God's omniscience. God knows all about us. And it doesn't scare the writer of Hebrews. Or the psalmist that we've been reading. What if God didn't know about all of our sin? Do you ever think of that? What if there were certain sins that were hidden from God in our life? Then how would Christ have died for those sins? that God doesn't even know exists. His knowledge, his omniscience is important to all of life including our redemption. Secondly, there is the joy of God's ever presence. Theologians say omnipresence, omni meaning all, everywhere. Unbelievers try to hide from God because in their heart of hearts they know that God is holy and they are wicked. They know that God has promised to punish sin and will punish it, but they cannot bring themselves to contemplate an ever present God whose rule and grasp on people is everywhere. Hear now the psalmist's joy. What does he say? Where can I go from your spirit? He's talking to God. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you for darkness is as light to you Psalm 139 verse 7 and following When I was a kid I was scared of the dark I just knew there were there were monsters lurking in the closet And my sister who is four years older than me would crawl into my bedroom on the floor at night, crawl into the closet, close the door, and then it was my turn to go down and mom come in, tuck us in, I'm laying on my pillow, I'm looking up at the ceiling, there was a light there with, uh, not a light, but a window where the car lights going by would illuminate the room how it does. And I'd be looking at that closet door. And then I'd see the door opening like that. And mom, boy, would I yell. (laughs) There's monsters in my closet. Now, my sister denies all this. As adults, we learn of other kinds of darkness, don't we? The darkness of a wicked world where it is not safe to walk on certain streets at night. The darkness of an abusive government that restricts our Christian liberties. And we've had that in America, but even more so in the European theater The darkness of lies, the darkness of deception, the darkness of false doctrine, the darkness of an uncertain future. But our joy as believers is that no darkness obscures the vision of God nor prevents him from being by us in his watch care. God cannot be banned from his creation. Kentucky Derby was here just a few weeks ago. And if you ever watch the horses in that race, off of their harness that's on their head, they have these little leather cups, half cups, that look like that. They're called blinders. They put those on the horses because they want the horse. To concentrate in straight what's in front of them, not be distracted from anything that's coming up on their right or coming up on the left. May I say reverently that there are no blinders on God, He is not distracted. From his watch care over you. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it. What is that? That's omniscience. He knows all there is to know about everything that is known. So he's omniscient, he's ever-present. And last, he is omnipotent. That's the joy of God's all-powerfulness. Verse 13, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Instead of trying to scrub away our creaturehood, instead of trying to distance ourselves from any connection with God, as believers, it is a joy to know that our life is mapped out by our loving, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful Creator God. Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. even though too lofty for us to attain. He says that also, verse 6, but he still says, how precious to me are your thoughts. In other words, the believer still loves the concept of God being God, even if he can't understand all of the details about God. And we joy in the omnipotence of his creation. Verse 18. When I awake... I'm still with you. Isn't that a great thought? When I awake, I'm still with you. Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one, no one can snatch them out of my hand John 10, 27, 28 that's a lot to be joyous about isn't it that's our self, that's our savior, that's our salvation which he provides anything that man does to distort this in any way they're just stripping away the value of salvation it's not of our doing it's all of God and his grace Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this psalm. David takes us to places that we know about in our heart of hearts, but maybe, maybe we've just forgotten some of these things. need to be reminded at times. In our workaday world, the troubles of life sometimes engulf us, sometimes overwhelm us. We think, oh, no. God, where are you? You have forgotten me. Lord, can you see what's going on with me and my family? Don't you care? Those are the thoughts of unbelief. God deliver us from that. Grant us the faith to know that God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Why? Because we, by faith in Christ, are your children. Would I forsake my children? Would God then forsake his children? Bless these truths to our heart. And if there's some here that don't know Christ as Savior, may this be the day that he finds them and by his Spirit draws them to a faith in him, not just for time, but for eternity. We'll praise you for what you're going to do. Thank you for all the mothers here today that gave life to us. Thank you for godly mothers, Christian homes, moms and dads that are working hard to raise up a children that will love the Lord and love the truth of his word. And may you be praised and glorified in the Christian homes we established. For your glory we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the Brown Hymnal, number 536. Let's stand together as we see it. Thankful for Christian homes. Today, for Christian mothers, we're celebrating Christian mothers. In another month, we'll be celebrating Christian dads. The two together make a Christian home. So, ladies, on the way out, remember to stop by the little foyer table. It's directly past the baptistry here out in the foyer. And there are gifts there for you. Not just for mothers, but I was told, am I right? Anything? Any ladies can take a gift. There is no church service tonight. Enjoy the time with your families. We are dismissed.